Good morning, Life Church. Um, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Derek Overcash, and I do have the privilege um, to, to serve as an elder here at Life Church. Um, I'm so excited to have the privilege again to open the word of God this morning and share it with you all. Um, now, of course, I see some surprise faces. Um, but um, yes, they let me back up here again, and yeah, and I'm not giving extra announcements. Um, you know, I think I've gotten this thing figured out by now. Um, see, about every six months, I send, uh, I send Aaron an email, and I say, hey, Aaron, man, I'm ready to sing. Like, give me a mic, man. Like, put me on the stage. I, I, I got this. And uh, in my mind, this is what happens. Aaron runs off to James, and he's like, hey, man, he's at it again. And James is like, what? He wants to sing, don't he? And he's like, yeah. He's like, don't worry. I got this. We'll let him preach. So here I am this morning, and uh, I'll see you again in about six months. But seriously, though, I take, uh, I take this with such great responsibility, um, and I, I am so thankful to our pastors for their efforts weekly that hold the word of God um, in such high regard and love you all so much that they put in the time to study, teach, and to one day be judged accordingly. I believe that they give their very best, and what else could we ask for? Um, they do amaze me how they, they can prepare a sermon um, in just a few days um, and be up here and, and put all this together. Um, I'll let you in on a secret. As requested, James gave me the scripture about two months ago. So I am pumped to share it this morning because I have been ready. Um, let me again welcome you and wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, I hope whether you're part of our family here, whether you're visiting us for the first time today, or you got drugged here this morning by someone who loves you, I hope you felt welcome. Um, whatever your circumstance, we're so glad you're here and able to join us, um, and I don't believe that's on accident. We are in our fourth week of the Advent series um, and down to one week until Christmas, the, the day that we celebrate the first Advent, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. And I hope everyone is eagerly awaiting this celebration and not stressed out by the hustle of the holidays. If you are, I pray that you find peace and rest under God's word here this morning. Today, as we continue our Advent series of the encounters with Jesus um, through the Gospel of John, we will be in a very familiar story of the woman at the well. I'd love for you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, um, and I'll meet you there in just a few. As I was preparing for today and where the Lord would lead me, um, I had to break out all of my fingers and most of my toes to go back some years now to high school. Um, I graduated locally here from North Rowan. Um, and like many of us, there's so many good memories from high school. Of course, friends, sports, girls, or in my case, one girl. There are, of course, bad memories of loss, mistakes, and really wishing we had a few do-overs. But these are some of the days that I'm sure for all of us have left a lifelong impact. For instance, I'll never forget, any, forget playing under the lights on Friday nights. I'll never forget that feeling of forgetting to do my homework. I'll never forget the sound of the bell ringing. Never forget that first kiss. And I'll never forget the way our biology room smelled the week we dissected cats. If you know, you know. But I'll also never forget the ways that many teachers uh, gave of themselves to impact and teach me uh, skills and lifelong lessons that led me to my degree and career and also build on the morals and the ways that I carry myself today. One of those teachers was Mr. Larry Thomason. If you're from here, you may know him. You may have had him as a teacher. Or maybe you remember him in his coaching days, um, uh, high school football coaching days at North Rowan. But if you're not, let me describe Mr. Thomason to you. See, Mr. Thomason was actually a four-sport All-American um, at North Rowan in the late 50s and early 60s. He went on for an academic and uh, athletic scholarship to the University of Wake Forest. 
Um, very cool fact about Mr. Thomason was he was actually roommates with Brian Piccolo, if uh, some of you remember the movie Brian's song, um, about his battle with cancer um, while playing with the Chicago Bears alongside his friend Gail Sayers. Um, I once asked Mr. Thomason about his college football days um, as I was very interested, and he said abruptly, uh, there's not much to say. After getting knocked out about seven times, I, I decided I wanted to use my head for more than a hat rack. But you see, the athlete side of Mr. Thomason is not the side that we ever saw. That was covered up by clean-cut glasses, shirt buttoned all the way up, high-waisted belt, pleated slacks, and oh, I can't forget the pocket protector that housed those overhead projector pins. Yes, I'm overhead projector old. You see, Mr. Thomason was a very, very intelligent man, and he was very sure of who he was. And he knew he didn't have to impress any high school student. He was there for one reason, and one reason only, to teach. Mr. Thomason, Mr. Thomason was a very selfless man. He would go out of his way uh, to come in early, uh, to leave late if someone needed help or had to discuss any questions. I had Mr. Thomason for uh, high school geometry and two years of calculus, and he made it his goal to impart mathematical knowledge on all of his students. He could have cared less what you looked like, what your social status was, or how smart you were. He was going to do everything that he could to give you the understanding and then hold you accountable to work hard and respond. It was always a running joke with Mr. Thomason because he would introduce himself in the first year of geometry, describing how he built his home using his high school geometry. And in fact, he really did. You see, math was his thing. He believed in it, and he wanted you to understand how positively it could impact your life as well. I really looked up to Mr. Thomason and admired his posture. I'm not sure that he ever knew it at the time, because although I did well in his class, I was busy worrying about being cool, sports, and that girl sitting in front of me. Can't say I'd really redo any of that, though, because that girl sitting in front of me now sits by my side every single day. But because of who he was, I responded, and I went on to ace the first two years of calculus in college, do pretty well in the third, just get by in the fourth. But actually, uh, for the first few years out of, out of college, I went back to North and, um, to be a teacher and taught high school chemistry and algebra. You see, his care for his students bared much fruit, and that f- fruit continues to be bared even today. But I'll never forget the impact Mr. Thomas had made on my life, and I've told and shared that sentiment with many others. I also happen to know that Mr. Thomason is a believer and could always feel that in the way that he led himself and have to believe was the reason behind his heart and teaching and in the ways that he cared for his students. Maybe you've had a teacher, mentor, or friend that similarly went out of their way to impart knowledge and give you knowledge that would benefit your life. Today, as we encounter Jesus in John chapter 4, I think you'll see some similarities in the way that Jesus cared for and gave his all to teach and impact the life of a Samaritan woman. Read along with me. John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come, draw, come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Pray with me. Father, we're so grateful for your word this morning. <sighs> Allow us to fill your spirit with each breath. Um, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you this morning and sit under your word that it will impact our lives, that we may go from here and live for you in all that we do. Uh, allow us to block out all the distractions um, and see you and see your glory and experience it in your word this morning. God, we're so grateful to be able to open your word together this morning with no persecution. And there are so many around the world that don't have that luxury. And God, we lift those brothers and sisters and those churches up this morning and just pray that your name will be glorified in all places and all parts of the earth. Um, God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for loving us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this scripture is packed with so many subtle details that I have myself have missed for years and didn't fully understand until deeply studying this text. I'm excited to look at those together this morning and see how they truly reveal Jesus' character and purpose. See, at first glance, this is going to look like Jesus just being a nice guy, starting up a conversation with a stranger and introducing himself. But understanding the context and the history behind this act makes it so much more than just a casual encounter. Let's look back through the text, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So John sets up the encounter for us in these opening verses, reminding us of how chapter 3 ends with Jesus and John the Baptist teaching and baptizing in Judea. We see John the Baptist exalt, acknowledge and exalt Jesus as the Messiah, saying that he must increase and I must de decrease. But John, the apostle, author of our text, makes it clear that Jesus did not actually, did not physically baptize anyone. 
that this would have led to human boasting. Could you imagine if some were actually baptized by Jesus himself, how humans could have turned that into pride, believing that the baptizer, the baptizer was more important than the baptism and that that made him even more holy. But we see that many did believe and were baptized in Judea. And verse one tells us that the Pharisees had become aware of this. And so Jesus departed for it was not yet his hour and he had more to do. Now this next verse is, easily to, is easy to quickly read past, but I would argue the scripture hinges on this verse and us understanding the character of Jesus and the importance of what I'm calling the divine appointment this morning. Verse four, and he had to pass through Samaria. Well, what's so important about that, right? It's easy to read that and be like, okay, he had to pass through Samaria and take it as a statement. The thing is, there's only one reason he had to pass through Samaria, and that wasn't because it was the only way. Uh, If you notice the map behind me, uh, Judea is south of Galilee and Samaria is sandwiched directly in the middle. So if we were to turn on our GPS today and click on the fastest route, it would take us through Samaria to get there. But we're about to understand that this was the road least traveled for most Jews. You see, at this time, there was so much animosity and fighting between the Jews and Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles, considered a bunch of half-breeds, and had their own version of scripture called the Pentateuch, which was the first five books of our Old Testament, which the Jews referred to as the Torah. They believed their version of scripture, religious practices, and recount of history was correct. And of course, the Jews disagreed. Can you imagine living in a society where these types of religious and historical beliefs cause a divide between people? The Samaritans were disdained and looked down upon by both Jews, but also other non-Jewish people. The Samaritans were dis- the, uh, so the normal Jewish travel route was to completely avoid Samaria at all cost because it meant defilement. Most Jewish travelers would opt for a longer route. They would cross the Jordan River East, travel all the way north, and then cross back across the Jordan and on into Galilee. You see, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria and culture told him to avoid it to stay clean. But Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with a woman at a well. Verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I want you to notice here, Jesus was wearied. Jesus' journey had brought him roughly 30 miles through rugged mountainous terrain. And it's now about the sixth hour or 12 o'clock noon and the hottest part of the day. Jesus was exhausted, the way this translates, and rightly so, like any of us would be. This speaks to the character of our empathetic God that we celebrate at Christmas, the God that came out of his heavenly home to be born as a human and face the same struggles and weaknesses that we do. He is fully human, and we're about to hear from his own mouth in chapter four that he's also fully God. So what next? He sits down and he asks for a drink. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Again, this is not a simple action to be overlooked. Jesus, with these four words, just broke so many cultural rules. And notice, the woman knows it in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then even John acknowledges and draws our attention to it, telling us that this was not the norm, saying, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Not only were Jews not supposed to speak to Samaritans, but men were not to address women in public unless they were family. 
Rabbis and teachers were never to address women, and there was no such thing as teaching a woman. And the thought of sharing a drinking vessel with a Samaritan, well, that would have made babies cry. But our Savior did not come to be restrained from his sheep by man's tradition and religion. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So the woman continues to be confused and might even think Jesus is crazy or losing it from exhaustion. She says, you don't have anything to draw this water with. Where do you get this living water that you're talking about? This is the first time that Jesus refers to himself as living water, and he's going to do it again in chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, where he said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. These, however, are not the only references that we see to living water in Scripture. We can actually find it throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. Um, as the prophets of Jeremiah and Zechariah pointed ahead to the coming kingdom. And also multiple times in the book of Revel Revelation referring to the second coming. Jesus then begins to teach the woman here. He tells her who he is, reve reveals spiritual truth of how not to just fulfill an earthly craving, but to quench a thirst for eternity. She continues in verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not have to be thirsty or come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. All right, so let's backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about this woman. Who is she and what do we know about her? Well, honestly, not much. And that makes this encounter all the more significant. There are some major firsts that we see in John chapter 4. To this point in the book of John, we've seen Jesus' encounters with Philip and Nathaniel, at the wedding in Cana, with Nicodemus, and then along John the Baptist. All Jews, all educated, and notice they all have names. This is the first encounter that we see in the book of John with a Gentile. This following right after the very familiar John chapter 3, verse 16, saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that whoever would not have sat comfortably with a lot of Jews. But Jesus is showing us here in chapter 4 that he was serious and he came for all. So in this time, it was a woman's responsibility to gather or retrieve water. This was normally done in the mornings or the evenings when it would have been the coolest. Notice, she's retrieving water alone at the hottest part of the day. Seems as though she's trying to avoid the crowds coming at this particular time. When she hears of this convenient water... Thinking about the fact that she'll never have to return to draw water, she's interested. Jesus pivots, though, as he's teaching her and asks her to go get her husband. Of course, not because he didn't know about her, but to reveal his omniscient knowledge of her life and reveal his godliness. Fully human and still fully God. She has, in fact, had five husbands and is now living with a man that is not her husband. 
In preparing for this message today, I've listened to multiple trusted pastors um, teach on this woman, and thoughts differ. But what I understand from the text that the Lord gives us is that she has had five husbands and either lost them to death or divorce. And if divorced, then the men chose to leave her as was custom that only a man could divorce his wife. I don't understand her to be an adulterous woman because at this time period, the penalty for that was death. She appears to be an outcast woman and an outcast community, an unwanted woman, and even the man that she lives with now hasn't chosen to marry her and would rather live in sin than engage in a covenant with her. Seems as though she, she continues to try to find her worth, value, and satisfactions through relationships and otherworldly pleasures. And now she's interested in, in this water out of convenience where she'll never have to be thirsty again, not have to come do the work to draw the water and be able to more, more easily avoid other people. So Jesus calls her out on her life. The fact that she's living in sin and the fact that she's seeking to find earthly approval and peace that only he can provide. So we don't know in great, deal, in great deal who this woman was, but I can guarantee that she was a sinner like me and like you. I know that God doesn't hold her sins, my sins, or your sins any higher than the other. They're all found wicked and evil in the sight of the Lord with the proper punishment of death. And yet he still went out of his way and fought through all the red tape to show up at this well to meet this woman and offer her the greatest gift of eternal life through him. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. All right, notice the woman's tone here. It changes. She doesn't think he's crazy anymore. She now thinks he's a prophet, total opposite, because how else could he have known these details about her life? Notice the similarity here between her and Nathaniel that we learned a few weeks ago in chapter one. When the Lord reveals things that there's no way that he could have known, both Nathaniel and this woman begin to believe. Because of her small religious education in the Pentateuch, she only knew of major prophets like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. She had no understanding of what we now know um, in the Bible today of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. So for her to think that he was a prophet and compare him to her ancestral father Jacob seems to be a very big deal. She continues in verse 20, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Pastor Matt referred to this a few weeks ago about the hour of Christ. We see Jesus moving on from Judea in this scripture because it was not yet his hour. But he says it's now here and he knows that very soon he must fulfill the will of God to defeat sin and death, to glorify God and to deliver the Holy Spirit. Jesus says after that hour comes and it is finished, the argument of whose temple is right or where do you go to sacrifice and please the Lord will be over I will be that sacrifice that pleases the Lord in your place for eternity. And through believing in me, you will be able to speak through the Holy Spirit anytime and anywhere. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
All right, don't miss this. Another first and a giant mic drop. This is the first time in the Gospel of John where we see Jesus directly reveal himself as the Messiah, the Son of God. And who does he do it to? A woman of all people. A dirty Samaritan Gentile outcast of all people. Someone longing for comfort and approval in all the wrong places. And a sinner of all people. Praise be to God. Praise him because he didn't come to ride the backs of the strong. He didn't come to follow social guidelines that leave many behind. He didn't avoid Samaria because it was the right thing to do. But instead, he loved the least of these. He valued and used the weak. And he sees us all for who we really are. No matter what the world says, a child of God created and made in his likeness. You know, when we read scripture like this, we tend to look at it in two different lights. We either read it as a story from 10,000 foot and observe what's going on, allowing us to judge the characters. Or... We like to place ourselves in the story, and it's likely that we want to take the hero role. Let me encourage you this, this morning to experience the wonder of God from within this story, and I'm going to help you out. There's only two characters, and you're not Jesus. You see where I'm going? Did you find your spot? All right. If we're honest, we are this woman. No matter how cool we think we are, we are an outcast in a disgruntled world longing for hope, joy, peace, and love. And we tend to try and fulfill those things in all the wrong places, places that are only temporary. If we look back in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah chapter 2, the word of the Lord has come to the prophet Jeremiah to call out Israel, for they have forsaken the Lord. Verse 13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Not only have the Israelites traded uh, the best water supplies in an eternal spring for the worst, a hole in the ground to catch rain, but their cistern is broken with all its water leaked out and nothing but sludge remaining. You know, we're just like these Israelites so often trying to catch rain in a bucket with a hole in the bottom, trying to capture the joy and approval that we long for that can only be fulfilled by the Father. You know why Christmas can be hard? because it was intended to just like the gospel of John to exalt Christ. But instead, we let it glorify and amplify our joys and sadnesses. Hear me, church. We substitute worldly passions for the Lord, even at Christmas. We let the highs of Christmas fill the voids of where we're lacking joy, and we let it increase the feelings of loneliness, loss, family hardships, and hopelessness. We let the presence, food, family, business, frustrations, and stress steal the, steal the attention that only the Lord deserves. I pray that we can better keep our eyes fixed on him this Advent season. We are this woman just wanting a drink to fulfill a short-term want instead of drinking from the living water that never runs dry. I encourage you to, like this woman, find the right perspective, seeing Christ for who he really is, repenting of your sins, choosing to follow him, and responding with worship as she did. Remember, John says in chapter 20, the point of this book is to glorify the Lord. Friends, we celebrate Christmas and the advent and first coming of a Savior that went out of his way to meet a woman at a well that no one else cared about. He did this in light of knowing that it would be unpopular. It would lead to further scrutiny, and he still made time for this woman, even though his time was short because she was worth it. She was so worth it that just like you and just like me, 
that that hour did come when Jesus went to the cross, blameless, sinless, and selfless. He hung with the pain of our sins rushing through his human body. He died, but three days later, our Lord rose and he marched out of his tomb and ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for our imperfection. The Lord finds us favorable because of him and he will one day return again to take us home where we can drink of the living water that never runs dry. This living water is ours for eternity, simply by faith in Christ alone. Come on, my people, it's Christmas and we celebrate the advent, the first coming, longing for his second. But what do we do until then? Well, he continues teaching us right here in John chapter four. This is evangelism 101. He sits down, gets to know this woman, and he tells her about Jesus. The word of God is here for us to learn from and to emulate, to be countercultural and to love the least of these. We see the woman respond with excitement and worship that we should in the same way respond with in wanting to tell everyone this good news. Look with me at the end of chapter four. Let's pick up in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. As the woman leaves, the disciples return and Jesus begins to teach them now. They urge Jesus to eat, but he assures them that doing the will of the Father is his satisfaction. In verse 35, Jesus says, look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the sayings hold true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Notice the woman left her temporary satisfaction in the water jar and ran into the discomfort of being with the people the very people that she tried to avoid. Her worship was evident, and because of her response to Christ, others believed in him also. If God can use this woman to reap, then surely he can use you and I for his glory as well. Friends, if you've never entered into a relationship like this through Jesus with our Lord, I would encourage you to not leave here today without speaking to an elder or staff member about what it means to follow Jesus, the living water. We would love the opportunity to speak to you more. If you consider yourself to be a follower of Christ, I tell you, lift your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Go and reap what he has already sowed. Pray with me. Father, um, with this breath, we just exalt um, your goodness and your, um, your magnificence. Lord, with our next breath, help us to um, go from this place into live out what you have taught us. God, we're so grateful for your word this morning that teaches us um, everything that we need to know. Um, we're, we're grateful for um, your encounters through the gospel of John. We're grateful for what we can learn from it and how we can exhibit that in our lives to others all around us. 
Help us to see brothers and sisters for who they truly are in your likeness, Lord. And help us to love one another the ways you've shown us. Help us in this Advent season to hold you, um, just exalt you for um, in the ways that you deserve, Lord. And help all the other distractions to be put behind us. God, thank you again for your word this morning. Thank you for the ways that you love us. It's in your son's Jesus' name I pray. Amen.